Greetings, everybody. Poya here. Welcome back to another great episode. Uh, I am so excited to have my good friends Sirius and Puyan, the co-founders of Scratchpad, on the show. And the reason I invited them to the show is I've known them for a couple of years, and they've been on this 10-year journey almost, uh, first starting off as friends and then becoming co-founders. Um, and we just wanted to kind of talk through about what they've learned in the enterprise software space as co-founders, scaling three different companies to multi-million dollar projects. Uh, they've sold two of them, and now they're on their third journey with Scratchpad. Uh, we'll, we'll defer to them to kick it off with a co-founder test. The co-founder test. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think it'd be fun to have Cyrus introduce Puyan and vice versa. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll defer to you, Cyrus, if you want to kick us off. Uh, give, give the nice bio about Puyan, who he is, both the personal oh, as well as business tough. side. I've never heard this, so let me see if I can let me see if I can try to do it. Um, okay, so Puyan uh, Puyan studied mechanical engineering at the University of Minnesota. Um, went into you know started doing mechanical engineering, but I think he always wanted to be in business. Um, <laughs> I can just see Man, Puyan's face I'm right now. I remember I, that. I, That's I, awesome. I, <laughs> uh, but but so he quickly went to um, uh, ended up at HBS. Uh, you know, got his MBA. Um, when he graduated from HBS, he, he started doing ops at Apple in the iPhone division, um, but had an itch to start a company. And that itch came from uh, a joke he, he, he tends to tell, which is he, he probably learned more about business at, uh, you know, growing up within his family. They had a, the pizza, a pizza franchise. Um, and, and I think that's where he got his bug for entrepreneurship. Um, and so while he was at Apple, you know, he was, he wanted to leave. He wanted to start a company. That's when we actually met. Uh, Puyan's very good at building relationships. And so we'd get tea, coffee at Pete's, um, you know, every six months, every year, uh, Puyan would reach out, we'd touch base and, and jam on ideas. Um, and eventually he left, he co-founded Stack Mob, which was kind of like a Heroku for mobile. Um, and then from there, uh, that was acquired by, uh, who was it acquired by Puyan? PayPal? PayPal, yeah. And so he left and became an EIR at Redpoint. And that's when our paths crossed. And I can talk more about that, or we can talk more about that later. But that, that's, I we'll think I did, I think I did your back, background justice. That was you, impressive, man. man. I, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I allow you to give your co-founder Cyrus a story. So we studied computer engineering at uh, Virginia Tech. And I think always wanted to, um, always wanted to build stuff. And, you know, I, I remember what one thing that he, he's mentioned that really kind of resonated with me, uh, how we ended up in Silicon Valley is wanting, you know, having that itch to build and create something um, and just taking the plunge and just jumping and coming out here, right? And not knowing a lot of folks, um, but knowing that there is, there's just, you know, there are people, other people here that do like to build. So came out here and um, started with uh, what a lot of folks do is a, a photo sharing app. Um, now this was before the days that actually photo sharing apps had taken off. So I think it was, you know, ahead of the curve and, you know, we can talk about timing on, on ideas later, but uh, I think just jumped right in to building. And I think very quickly learned how important um, user adoption actually is where you can build stuff, but getting users to actually care and use something is, is, is a lot harder than it actually seems. Um, so he was working on that, um, ended up joining a company um, 
I forget, was it Social Shield? Social Shield. That's that right. was, it was Social Shield. Okay. So yeah. I was working there uh, as a software engineer. That company was acquired. Um, and him and I had actually met, I believe you were still at Social Shield back then. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what gravi we, were, we both really gravitated towards, you know, good user experiences, good user design products that, um, that had that. And so that's where we'd get together and just kind of jam on ideas and also just the, the idea of building and creating things. And so, you know, he was still there. And, and I think timing just worked out. When I was at Redpoint as an EIR, I was, you know, thinking about what to work on next and jamming on ideas and, and just pinged him. And, and I think timing worked out where the company he was at was acquired and he was thinking of what to do next. And we just kind of started jamming on some ideas and here we are. And how did you go from jamming around ideas to eventually working together and, and how did that evolve? Was working on marketing automation or was thinking about marketing automation built on top of this credit card API. We built a product around that. We built a lot of products in that phase uh, and we were selling those products. And as an engineer, I was cold calling, you know, coffee shops and, and, uh, and that was a, that was a pretty daunting experience. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but, but anyway, um, that was a, that was a formative period in our business relationship. We learned to work together. We learned how to evaluate ideas. Uh, and we were learning about SaaS, building SaaS software in general. For me, it was my first time building uh, enterprise software, right? Um, I think the other thing is, is as we were selling, our initial, initial idea didn't have a lot of traction. Um, and so we pivoted into another product that we were selling. And by selling these products, we realized the pain of doing cold outbound, right? At that time, it was you had a spreadsheet. You were doing mail merge through Thunderbird. You downloaded Thunderbird, which most people don't even know probably what it is. And you know, you're getting all these replies, bounces, etc. It was just a painful process that obviously needed software to solve. Um, so, so uh, we applied to Y Combinator around that time. Uh, we applied with a different idea, but we knew we were going to pivot. We pivoted as soon as we got in, and we we're off to the races with Persist. That that's uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. And if I were just to look at it slightly differently on, on how these evolved Poya, like you asked, I think with each progressing idea over the years, we ended up solving problems that we knew better. We ended up solving problems where we were more, um, it was a more intimate problem. We had a unique angle on the problem. And, you know, if I were to think about the first thing we started working on, which was like Stu said, is online to offline marketing automation system for uh, small retailers, brick and mortar retailers. We didn't know that much about them. So, so much of our energy and time went to just understanding them, their problems. It just turned out they didn't care about this. It took us a good year to figure that out. Um, with Persist IQ, we were solving it like Stu described, we were literally solving our own problems. So we knew it intimately well. Uh, that got us to a certain point and then we had to learn a lot more. Um, and now with Scratchpad, it was not only our own problem, but I felt like the years that we have spent in this space and the empathy that we've built for revenue teams, salespeople. I mean, we've, we've literally talked to thousands, if not tens of thousands of account executives um, over the years we've been doing this. And so you just build this empathy and this understanding for the problem. And how have things over time evolved into the scratch pad uh, idea and journey? No, that's a great question. Um, and even now, you know, just, just to be clear, it's not like the scratch pad idea, it was a flash of lightning or this moment that we're like, oh, here's what exactly what it is. It's never that, that simple or that clean. It, it's, you know, in the early days, the ideas are so delicate. 
and that there, you can just easily pass them up. And it's just, I think we were just more, I think we were receptive to solving new problems. That's really what it was. Uh, we realized that the sales engagement space had really, you know, had taken off. And, and early on when we were starting Persist IQ, very few people believed in the whole concept. They're like, what? Like Salesforce is going to do this or marketing automation. And, you know, honestly, a lot of credit to, to the other companies that, that are in the space that, you know, I guess our competitors that um, they built multi-billion dollar businesses out of them. It's incredible. Um, and so I think we just kind of looked at the space and was like, you know, we, we don't see a way for us to really like meaningfully differentiate. We can continue building the business. We have a lot of great product ideas, but that's when we just became receptive to, all right, let's see where we can create something meaningful that's different. Um, and it was out of, and that was a joint decision. I think we all kind of faced it, right? Where it just becomes harder because like, you know, you build this feature and then it turns out to be just a check the box feature that everyone else has. And so it becomes harder to sell. And so I think we just got a little bit tired of that. And we're like, let's, you know, we know how to build. We know how to sell. Let's point it towards something meaningful. What is Scratchpad? What do you guys do? Who uses it? What's the value add? So on and so forth. Scratchpad is, it's the first workspace for revenue teams. And what we mean by that is, if you look at how most organizations sales organizations are structured or what they have. Almost everyone has Salesforce or CRM. We've got an email tool, a phone tool. But if you really dig in and look at how the reps actually work, each one creates what we call or what we're, what we're calling their own workspace. And they're using general purpose tools that aren't designed for sales. So what does that look like, right? For notes, people are using Evernote, Mac Notes, uh, OneNote. For pipelines, they're using Excel, Google Sheets. For tasks, it's all over the place. And that's just kind of this accepted state of the world. Um, and we're, we, we have a different view. We believe that a workspace that has these elements combined and a, and a lot more, but designed just for the, the role of a salesperson um, is going to be meaningful. And some analogies on that, like if you think about most crafts, everyone has their own workspace, right? Scientists have labs, chefs have kitchens, um, carpenters have, have workshops. And so our view was just why, why should sales be any different? It is a craft um, and it should have a workspace that's designed to optimize the, the person's performance. Money. So now million dollar question I've been wanting to ask. Look, ideas are cheap, right? You guys probably know that better than anybody else. And what I mean by that is you really have to go to market, find out like what's sticking, what's resonating, right? So when you go initially, right? Whether it's Lara Labs, Persit, like whatever the heck it may be, right? When you go out to the market, what, what's the, what's the like first milestone you guys now looking back, do you recommend for people to like, go, go find that there is a job to be done. And that job to be done is like a higher level problem that people care about. And revenue is one signal usage is another signal. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other. And it probably depends on the business as well. Um, so like if you are going to be doing an enterprise type product that's selling to like, you know, massive companies, then, you know, launching an MVP is probably not the best approach. Uh, if you're doing a bottoms up growth, uh, you know, product, then maybe launching a, a, a feature that is in line with a broader job to be done and getting usage is a great way to get validation on that, on that hypothesis of the problem that you think exists. So, you know, I think it depends for us. It was, um, I think it was, it was usage initially because we're a bottoms up growth company and 
AEs and individual contributors don't get a lot of love in terms of tools. It's starting to change now, but um, yeah, and we saw a path to revenue. So Puyan, do you have anything to add to that? Um, no, I, I, I think- Chain or different- No, no, I, I would just, if, if anything, I'd build on that to say what I think, you know, to, to get really tactical, uh, what is it that we did differently with Scratchpad that we did then then persist in some of the other ones? And I think early on, we actually went slow, right? Speed is, listen, speed is one of our core values, if, if not the number one value at our company. But to go fast, and this sounds is very cliche, but we actually did go slow early on. And what I mean by that is we took the time to understand the nuances of this business. What, what kind of business might this even be? And more importantly, work on having a really good understanding of why would we win? Why, would, why is this going to matter? And making sure that we can answer that. And once you have that, so it's like start with understanding what makes the business successful, then work to the signal that you need to see. And, and Suru's touched on this, but I think this is really important to understand because for each business, it'll be different. But you could spend a year, if you're building enterprise, or just a year building check the box features to even have a shot to get any sort of signal. And so you can probably fast track a lot of that stuff, assume you have it, but the real signal might be, can we get in the door? Can any, would anyone care about this? Forget payment for a second. Because, um, and again, it depends on the market. Like we knew in the sales space, people spend money on sales tools. And so it was less of a question of, can we make money off of this? Is there budget? It was more a question of, are we creating anything that's meaningful? Is there anything of value here? Um, so we start with what made it successful, then work to the signal that we wanted to see. In that case, what Suru said for us, it was usage, because that's where most sales tools completely fall flat. Um, and that's what we went for. What is important to think of in the early days and, and how does revenue and usage tie into that? But I think this comes back to what I mentioned earlier, and it, it's something we, we focus on a lot is what is it that's going to make us successful? And I think that just helps a lot. And, and again, that's a really hard question to answer because you don't know. Uh, but I mean, really breaking that down and usage only tells you one part of the story. Just because you have usage does not mean you will make revenue mm -hmm. by any means. Um, and recognizing that and saying, okay, well, that that just gets us so far. What else do we need to get it, get, get it uh, the rest of the way? And so I think, yeah, I don't know. Seriously, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think for us, it was, Usage only usage was important because if you don't have it, you don't have anything else. You know, a lot of businesses, at least in the sales tech, marketing tech, SaaS space fall into this trap where you're able to sell, there is budget and you can tell a good story on it, but you can't get the renewal because you got in the door, but then it failed on usage. You didn't really have product market fit. And we wanted to, we'd, we'd seen that play out so many times. We just basically flipped it upside down and said, let's prove that this is going to be valuable first because we had the conviction saying, if we can do that, we'll find a way to make the revenue. Yeah, I, that, that's right. For us, it was like, put another way, we tried to get product user fit first and then focused on uh, revenue. Okay. And now that you've kind of, we got more work to go, right? So I don't want to stroke you guys' ego, but at the same time, I've used Scratchpad, I've taken it from company to company. What do you think differentiates now that you've built a couple of products that have gotten usage, like what are the key mm -hmm. things you should really like nail? Like what are, what are your recommendations there? Like you really, really nail, need to nail these three things in a product in order to drive usage for, for the user. I don't think we can answer that because, and I'll tell you why. 
I can answer that for Scratchpad. I by no means would I want to throw anything out there that I think others listening would be like, okay, I need to do that thing. And, and, and here's the thing, I, I would actually say, understand the behavior of your users as much as possible, uh, because that will be your map to under to knowing like what it is you need to focus on. And in our case, you know, you've been a salesperson, you've been a successful salesperson in the past. Um, like most salespeople don't necessarily want to try new things, right? And, and for right reason, it's like you have a quota to hit, you've got a job to do, you're less interested in what's the new flashy thing and like just kind of get out of my way, let me do my thing. And so, you know, for us, the time to seeing the value was one of the most important things. And so that forced us to then cut out, I mean, hundreds if not thousands of small decisions went into that one insight yeah and i know you you try i think sometimes you want to give context so you yeah. want to give con you want to make sure you don't give content because you don't want it to be dangerous and you're like hey go find out the context for your business but what you yeah. said actually resonates a lot because time to value like the for a lot of businesses it's like our attention span has been so crazy that quicker you can get to the aha moment and then the second thing you said is go sit down with your users, right? With your buyers, if I'm trying to get like actionable mm -hmm. insight, right? And, um, and find out what are the little things you can do to make it easier. And those things add up, right? Like it's one little thing here, one little thing here. But when yeah. you look back to some of those things is actually can be really meaningful. But Cyrus, uh, uh, what I was what I was asking is, now that you guys have had this experience of like getting people to like to drive usage, right? Yeah. I think at some companies you've been very successful at others. It doesn't, and a lot of yep. it is out of your control, right? The market, yep. but in the ones that you have been successful, what are the things that you're like really trying to double down on? Um, and I know it's different business to business, yeah. but what are yeah. maybe some of those like top nuggets? Puyan, yeah, I, I thought yeah. gave some good context, but curious from your perspective. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's understanding the problem, understanding the customer as, as well as possible. And if you, if you, if you heard Puyan earlier, he was saying that our empathy and understanding of this space has grown over time. And I think, I think what's interesting is like, you know, people talk about like, what advice would you give to an, a new entrepreneur or someone that wants to be an entrepreneur? And, and I don't hear this very often, but, it, uh, you know, exposure to problems is, is something that if you're not getting exposed to problems, you end up building photo sharing, right? <laughs> uh, but if you get exposed to problems, you start to build empathy for customers and you, you start to, you know, you build scratch pad or you build persist. Um, and, and, and so, so for, for us, like the, the deeper empathy you have for the problem and the customer, uh, the better you will be at creating something that's magical, that's innovative, um, for a super tactical, um, for some super tactical advice, I would check out the mom test. It's, it's a great way to, to learn, to interview um, interview customers in a way that you're not going to get answers that mislead you or, uh, you know, lead you down the wrong path. I, I actually don't know what the mom test is. It's like literally the first time I've ever heard of it. So. It's a great book on interviewing customers. And Got it's, it. so it's a tactical way to kind of implement getting to know your customers better. Got it. Perfect. Quoting a lot of the false positives, like you're saying before, like some people say stuff just to be nice or they'll say, yeah, yeah. Really it. um, you know, the sure. other thing I, I would just add, add to that is don't, you know, don't have much of an ego. And what I mean by that is like a product ego and know where you fit in the user's day. That's why empathy is so important because otherwise you'll start building stuff to say, oh, well, we need to all of a sudden like build commenting and we need to do this and we need to do that. So that'll drive engagement. But the re reality is the job, and Sirius mentioned this, but it's important. Like what is the job to be done? Um, that's another really important framework that we use a lot, but how do you fit into that job? How do you fit in the world into the day of your user 
and, and just focus on that. And maybe it's pretty narrow to start, but I think it's okay. And be bold and have the conviction to say, you know what, we are going to be very narrow to start. But then by doing that, we can, that opens the doors for other things. Love One it. more tactical thought here. Sorry, this just came to mind is like, uh, it look for compensating behavior. So if you think there is a problem, are people compensating for it in some way? And that's, that's usually a, a good tell that there may be something there because people are actually yeah. investing in trying to solve it. Love it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go a little left field, not to ignore this. I think this has been, uh, we, we've nailed this topic. Another topic that's hot right now, and I, at least it's hot for me, is there's a lot of money out there, right? You can, frankly, with any sort of idea in a nice deck, you can probably raise money. How do you guys think about bootstrapping your way versus raising money? And what, like, how, how should people think about it now that you guys have done like both journeys, just yeah. curious from your learnings. Well, ideally is you don't have to raise money, right? <laughs> like that's, that's the best. Uh, so I, I guess I don't think of it necessarily as bootstrap versus raising money. I think it depends on what type of business you're trying to build in the first place. Um, and recognizing that because some businesses just do require a lot of capital, maybe not to build the product. I think building initial versions of product has become faster, cheaper, but getting to market and acquiring customers and growing has become more expensive. And so I think not, you know, just basically understanding what it takes for your business. So that's one. But the one thing that, that I think is important is don't raise to discover the problem to solve. And we see that happening a lot. The ideal, in my view, is only consider raising once you've identified a meaningful problem to solve and you, hit, you have a unique angle on it. And even then, the ideal is that you raise as uh, as you're closer to signal on product market fit. Now, this is like, the, the goal is like you're raising once you have product market fit in there, because then it's just, it's a heck of a lot better. But the reality is you need some resources to get to that point. Um, yeah, that's that's my view on it. Serious? Yeah, I think the the dream is not raising any money, obviously. But, uh, but I think honestly today, uh, if you want to build a big company, um, your probability of succeeding is much higher. So just addressing whether you should raise or not, like in order to be competitive, you probably need to raise. You don't have, like you, maybe you don't have to, but it, there's a power law in terms of who gets the market share. And, and, um, and so you want to, you want to maximize your odds for, for, for that. And so, so raising, once you have product, like, like Puyan was saying, once you have conviction that this is going to be a space that, you have product market fit, you should, you should, I think you should be thinking about raising. When you evaluate another co-founder, what should you look for? Like if I'm going out there and I want to go on this journey and I know I don't have all the skill sets to start my own company, like knowing what you know now, and I know it's awkward because you're both on this call together, but I'm curious, like what, what's made this relationship be unique and work like that you think is important to look for for people that are trying to find that co-founder and their partner in crime? Awkward. No, cricket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think. I, uh, you want to? No, you go ahead, up Okay. Um, no, you, you um, I, I think I think one thing that is like more, I guess, dry, but is like, ideally, you complement each other some in some way in terms of skill set. Um, so, I think Puyon's really good at like 
developing relationships, representing the company externally, um, and and you know more of the sales side, and I'm more of more of a builder. But we we both are really passionate about product, and so we overlap on that part, uh, for better or worse. Uh, <laughs> um, but 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 probably for better. Um, and uh, and then. And then, so that's like the tactical side of like things of thinking about how to like split responsibilities. Like if you overlap in responsibilities, there's probably going to be a lot of conflict and a lot of trouble down the road. The other, and then, then there's like the relationship. Um, you, you probably want to have similar values, similar goals, uh, and a high level of trust. And you're not going to get that right off the, right out of the bat, but you're just looking for, I think, progressive signals to see if you can build that trust over time. Yeah, I second <laughs> that. Um, the one thing I would add is there was, um, I forget what book it's from, um, but Clay Christensen was a, was a professor at, at business school. And in one of the books he'd, he'd written, um, there's a framework on evaluating teams. And so actually I remember, I don't know series if you remember, we did like this exercise together like eight or 10 years ago um, where I, I took an, I took that framework and adapted it to finding a co-founder or evaluating one. And it's pretty simple. There's, there's just imagine two axes, like an X and Y axis. On one of them is the question or kind of the statement, how the world works. And the other one is what you want. And depending on your alignment, you ideally want to be in the upper right quadrant or upper right corner. And so against each of those statements, you can write questions and just do an assessment because, and this comes back to what Sarus was saying is, you know, how the world works is really a statement on your values. Like, what are the gray areas for you? What are they not? How, how far are you willing to go on certain things? What do you believe? And then the other one is what you want. And so in cases, if, if one founder is, you know, willing to go, you know, maybe push the gray zone on some ethical stuff or not, or one just thinks very differently, that may not be a match. But if you're aligned there, then all the better. Now, what you want is more, why are you doing this? If one is just in it for the money and one is just in it for altruistic reasons or, or just to build, again, that may not, not fit there too. And, and it's something that I think it's worth, you know, we're, we're all humans. We change over time, situations change over time. So I think it's worth revisiting. Um, but I think that that helped um, as, a, as a tactical framework. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very actionable and very tactical. Hey, look, we, we've gone way over the, the usual time slot that we, we love, which is, a, which is a good sign because it's been a very fun conversation. Before we say our goodbyes, the one question I'd love to ask everybody and we ask every audience member, um, if you could go back to your younger self, right? You, you in Virginia, you in Minnesota, Puyan, um, mm -hmm. like what is that one piece of advice you would give to yourself? It could be life, it could be business related, it could be both, you could give multiple but like, what is one thing you really wish you would like know sooner? And, and I'll start with you this time, Puyan. So Sarus so actually took, took mine, or one, one of the one things I was gonna say um, is become really good at identifying problems or, or create environments or put yourself in situations where you're exposed to problems. And again, this is coming from the perspective of knowing I wanted to just build and create things. But I think that's, that's something that it took a while to learn um, so one thing that comes to mind that's been pretty impactful on this journey is we've hired an executive coach. And I think that's just a, a great way to level up as a, as a teammate and individual that's not talked about at all. Um, if you think about startups, it's a lot of interpersonal relationships. It's really stressful. It's there, there, you know, maybe you're not, you're not, you're not a, you're not, you're not a natural born manager right out of the gate. Um, and I think an executive coach can, 
can really level you up. And, and it, I think it would be, it would have been pretty awesome to have started that earlier in my career. Well, good stuff, guys. That, this, is, this is a lot of fun going back. Good talking uh, to you. Yeah. yeah. Down memory lane. And the thing <laughs> I just want to leave people with as like the last note, this has been a, almost a decade long journey, right? So like it's yeah. the reason I wanted to like bring you to <laughs> you guys right. on is to make it very clear that this journey, sometimes we, we hear about the, the, the highs of the highs and overnight and successes, lows, right? So, <laughs> It's been a 10 year journey and um, I can't thank you guys enough for being what I call missionaries, right? Very committed to your customers, your value statements and whatnot. Hi everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. This is Poya. I want to thank Sirius and Puyan for their actionable insights as well as wisdom. I want to encourage you to reach out to our guests uh, at any given time. Let them know what you enjoyed about the show and episode. And I also want to thank you for tuning in to another great episode for supporting us at any given time. If you have suggestions, please feel free to let myself, Poya, and or my co-host, Ravi Allen, know. Um, and I wanted to leave you off uh, by thanking our sponsors, uh, NetSuite.com. If you want to learn how they can help scale your business and, and your organization, you can learn about them at NetSuite.com forward slash scale, as well as Indeed. Um, you can get a $75 credit uh, to post your first job with Indeed, and you can get that at Indeed.com forward slash scale. So thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your day. And as always, be well, be safe, and catch you on the next episode.